This morning, 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there to chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia, grace be unto you and peace from our God, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Anybody need that one? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I want to look at a message this morning on the God of all comfort. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for grace. God, thank you for mercy, truly without measure, God. Lord, I thank you for every soul in this place, for everybody represented, every family, every home. God, I thank you for live stream, that those that are sick and unable to move, that you can reach out, God. I pray a blessing upon each and every one of us, Father. I pray would you move mountains this morning, God. I pray you'd break down some walls and remove some barriers, God. I pray you'd mend that that needs mending, heal that that needs healing. God, I pray, Father, you'd move in some marriages, move in some homes, God. I pray that your perfect will be accomplished, God. Lord, I thank you that we can come to you, that your word says that we can come boldly into the throne room of grace, that we might obtain mercy. God, I pray this morning, would you move in here with your people, God. I pray you do what only you can do and speak to every individual in this place according to your perfect will. And God, we pray most of all, may you be pleased with everything that we do on this day. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we get all off into the message, I want to take a minute and kind of see how it is that, that God can help us in our situations. I want to look at the backdrop of this letter because the reason that Paul writes it and the things that he writes adds a lot to the character of why he writes it. A little less than a year ago, the apostle Paul wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth. And when he wrote that letter to the church there, Paul was dealing with some issues within the church. He was dealing with problems in the church. There was discord. There was backbiting. There was things going on within it. It's not things that were caused by heretics or those from outside, but those within the church were causing problems within the church. So here in this second letter, the Apostle Paul is now writing almost a, a little bit of a, a, a personal defense letter. There is distrust being thrown his way. It's not distrust within the members. It's not discord among the brethren, but it's actually distrust towards the Apostle Paul himself. There were those in the church who were attempting to discredit his apostleship or to discredit his sincerity. There were those who were trying to discredit his call as a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this, this wave of distrust going on. So this becomes a very personal letter from the Apostle Paul. He, he writes about things like the suffering of the mind. He writes about things in this letter like the suffering of the heart, things from within. But, but he also deals with, with things like affliction and anguish and, and beating and strife and, and conflicts and hunger, tears and sorrow. All of the things that you and I deal with in life, all of these things were experienced by the Apostle Paul. We see that in the hardships of life that he had to deal with was as a Christian. These aren't things when he was still Saul of Tarsus. This is the Apostle Paul as a Christian that he's suffering things. But yet in spite of all the turmoil, of all the things that this letter talks about, of all the strife and confusion, 
Two of the biggest words used in this letter is comfort and comforted. A matter of fact, if you take the other 12 of the Pauline letters and look at them, comfort and comforted are used more in this letter than any of the other letters that he writes. Now, he says in chapter 11, the apostle Paul is part of this letter here. He says, you think I'm not sincere, paraphrasing here. He says, you think I'm not called to be a minister of the gospel. But then he goes on in chapter 11, verse number 19 and says, for you suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproaches, though we had been weak, howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labor is more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death all. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I spent in the deep, have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Sounds like to me the Apostle Paul's been through some stuff. Sounds like he's been through some pretty hard trials. And if that's not enough, he says in chapter 12, he said, I got an issue. I got a problem going on, and I've asked the Lord three times. Anybody ever feel like God ain't answered your prayer yet? You know what we talk about? If he ain't said no, just keep on praying. But if he said no, just thank him and move on. Because what he said, I've asked three times. And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you've gotten here, glory to God, to you and the Apostle Paul, because I ain't got there yet. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, mm -mm 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 -mm. in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glory, and ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For nothing am I behind the chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So in a letter here where the apostle Paul is dealing with all this pain and all the hurt and all the anxiety, anxiety and all the issues that's, that's going on, the most common used words in spite of all that is comfort and comforted. So I want to look this morning at the God of all comfort because there's not one of us in here and one of us listening out there that hadn't been through something. There, there's not a person, there's not a listener near that, that hasn't been through some storms in this life, walked through some valleys in this life, been in some difficult situations in this life. We've all been there, but they just sang the song, as a child of God, we've never faced one alone. Never once have I ever walked alone. I have felt alone. Anybody ever felt alone? I have said, God, where are you? In the middle of this storm, do you not hear me? Where are you? But I've never gotten on the other side of a storm that I couldn't look back and see God holding my hand all the way through it. Not once have we ever walked along. It's amazing to me how God just puts that song right in the right place at the right time. 
Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. God, God knows about pain. God knows about the struggles that we face. He knows about every trial, every tear. He knows every sorrow. He understands what we're going through because God became man and felt what we feel. You've heard me say before, God could not have understood exactly how you felt until he became man and felt what you felt. But God has been man in the flesh just as much as if he were never God. So he has a full understanding of everything that you and I have walked through. The father watched as his son was brutally beaten, spit upon, rejected of men. The father watched as his son was, was placed up on the cross. And we know from Scripture that Jesus could have breathed the first part of a word and 12 legions of angels would have been sent from glory to erase humanity from the face of the earth. God had 12 legions of angels, swords drawn, ready to put an end to the foolishness. But what we see is Jesus didn't call out to the Father for vengeance. He called out for forgiveness. He hung on the cross and looked at the face of the ones that were doing it and said, Father, forgive them. So instead of judgment, God sent mercy without measure. Instead of punishment, God sent healing. And instead of bringing what we deserve, God sent comfort. He sent a love that we cannot understand, that while we were yet sinners, separated from God, that Jesus Christ died for us. Amazing to me, the creator of all the universe, the one who spoke all things into existence, hollowed out the oceans with his hand, set a bounds about the waters and said, you stay right there. Sprinkled stars all over the heavens beyond what the greatest telescope of mankind can even see. Telleth the number of them and calleth them all by name. That same God said, you can call me father. I love you so much. You are my child and you can call me father. What a God. The world is full of false religions today. There's a lot of lies being told. I watched a, actually Robin and I, we watched a couple of cooking shows. Y'all know there ain't nothing on television. Until Georgia Bulldog football comes on again, there ain't nothing on television. I'm praying for the Bulldog to hurry up and get back on the screen. So we're watching a cooking show. I don't know, man. They're in another country. We watched it. We watched more than one of them. They were in different countries. But this is what I saw. I saw every one of them give some form of thanksgiving. But they were rituals. They were rituals that had to be carried through. They were rituals. I mean, oh, it, it was the God of this and the God of that and the God of that. And they had all kinds of them. One of them was even had to take part of the food and put it back on the ground to give it back to, to the earth God so that he would bless and give us more of it. So we had to give him some of it back. And, and I'm watching. I'm thinking, man, all, everybody's looking for something. Everybody needs something. There's an empty spot in somebody looking for a God. All the false religions of the world, they have all these trinkets. They have all these idols. They take a rock and they carve it into a short little fat man sitting with his arms folded and they call him a God. They take a piece of wood and they make all this fake stuff that can't even move by itself. I call that speaker a God. And they make it. It can't even move itself, much less help you. It can't even do anything of its own account. And then in order to be saved by it, they claim they have to work by it. They have to work their way into heaven. You got Islam. Them guys say they worship God. It ain't the God I worship. 
They say death to the infidel. If you don't think like me, that's instant death. Where is that in the word of God? It's not. Because the book I got says he's a God of love. And he loved us so much that he came and climbed up on that cross to forgive me of all my sins so that he might call me son and I might call him father. The God of all mercies. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6, the word of God says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Man, what it is. What a blessing. What a, what a privilege it is to be able to call the God creator of the universe that can do all things Father. You know, you think about the best father on this planet. Be honest, you ain't even really got to be a good father to do these things. When, when your children are crying, you'll do everything you can to comfort them. I mean, the best father will, but you ain't got to be all that good that when your children are in danger, you'll do everything within your power to protect them. Fathers on this earth, when, when our children are hurting, we'll do everything within our power to, to try to help them. If they're afraid, we do all we can to try to, to console them. There's nothing that a good earthly father won't do to try to take care of his children. But yet the God of all creation calls us children and says that we're to call him father. You know, the beauty of it, it is the cries of his children that moves the heart of God. When you cry, God cares. When you speak, God listens. It doesn't matter how small a matter it may seem. If it matters enough to you to talk to him, he cares. And it doesn't matter how big an issue it is. If it's big enough for you to bring it to him, it's small enough for him to fix it. What a father. Our text says, blessed, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I like that, our Lord. It doesn't say the Lord. It says our Lord, our own personal Lord. You know, the, the one that we depict here at 12 years of age walked up into the temple and began to teach the religious elite about how to have love over the law. The one that taught us how to pray our Father, which art in heaven. The one that taught us how we ought to live life. The one that taught us how we ought to love others at least like ourselves, better than ourselves. The, the one who hung on that cross and said, Father, forgive them. The one that, that bore my shame, my sin, my iniquity and hung up there and said, Father, forgive him. He is our personal Lord and Savior. Seated at the right hand making intercession. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If we go to chapter 4, verse number 7, still in 1 John, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son 
to be the propitiation for our sins. We have a very warm, very personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Our text says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. That word tribulation comes from a word that includes peer pressures, all the pressures of life, all the pressures from your neighborhood, all the pressures from work, all the pressures that we deal with in life. It includes sickness, disease, anguish, anxiety, fear, burdens, persecution, all of the trials. Anybody have any of those? Anybody dealing with anything in this life? It says that, that it deals with all of our troubles and that God is our Father and He is the one that who will comfort us in the middle of all of these. It is God that picks us up when we fall. It is God that, that loves us when nobody else can and nobody else would. It's God that holds us when we cry. It's God that heals us when we're hurt. We can never get out of the reach of God's loving arms. You say, but you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. You don't know about my past. I don't care about your past. If you're a child of the living God, your past is past. Your test is now your testimony. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Your past don't matter to me. If it don't matter to God, it don't matter to me. But you don't know what I've done as a Christian. You don't know what I've done as a Christian. I know this, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to forgive all sin. And everything that we did before and after salvation is all done. You say, but I've made some mistakes in life. Think about men like Jonah. God told Jonah, I got something for you to do. I got somewhere for you to go. I want you to go over there and tell the Ninevites that if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. Now, you got to understand a little in the history, Jonah hates the Ninevites. Well, it's wrong to hate people. Don't change the facts. Jonah, a servant of God, hates the Ninevites. And with a little bit of rightfully so tagged in it, the Ninevites are a brutal people. They're ruthless. They treat the Jews terrible, hates them. Jonah wants them to, to be judged. He wants them to be destroyed. And so God says, I want you to go over there and tell the Ninevites that if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. So Jonah buys a ticket, gets on a boat, and obviously had, he had a sense of direction issue because Nineveh was that way. And he set sail that way. But God, being as graceful as he is, said, Jonah, I understand you have a little bit of issues with sense of direction. Let me help you out. Let me send a storm and get some mariners to toss you in the water. I have my own taxi service that's going to take you where I told you to go. I have my own personalized Uber sweep by and pick you up. And he probably could have gotten him there quicker, but God wanted him to sit in the back seat of that taxi and think about it for a little bit. He wanted to sit there in the midst of all of whatever else that fish ate. He wanted to sit there with all that seaweed, and you know it had to smell delicious in there. I want you to sit in there about three days and think about it, because when that taxi gets there, I told you to go to work. And he dropped him off at the corner streets of, I told you to get busy and I'll go to work. And Jonah took off through town hollering, repent, or the judgment of God is at hand. It says that the king heard the message, told the people to repent in sackcloth, and the people repented. Jonah's one ticked off unit. I knew you were that kind of a God. Anybody know he's that kind of a God? I knew you were just. I knew you were holy. I knew you were graceful. I knew you were merciful. I wanted you to kill him. Now, who's the guiltier party here, the Ninevites or Jonah? 
They don't deserve the kind of mercy you've given me. They don't deserve the kind of grace you've given me. Look at them. They're just, they're just, well, they don't even go to church on Sundays. Look how they talk. Look how they, they don't deserve the same kind of grace that I'm getting. But Jonah ran into his own problems, didn't he? But what we find out is that the same grace that forgave Jonah to start with is the same grace that forgave Nineveh, washed away their sins. They mess it up a few years later, but we don't have time to get on into that one. The biggest part is that God met Jonah in all of his dissatisfaction. When everybody else was heathens and should have been judged, he said, you, you should just kill him. Just kill me. I don't even want to live. That's where it's going to be. But yet God was graceful enough to love him and comfort him. Think about the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son, what he said to his father is, I count you as dead. That's what he said. He said, when you die, I, there's going to be an inheritance, and I'm going to get a part. I count you as dead. Go ahead and give me what's mine. Go ahead and give me my money. Write me off. Don't call me son. I'm done. Just give me my money. You won't be bothering me anymore. I consider you dead. And the father says, okay. That's the way you want it. Here's your money. Walks out of the father's life. Y'all know the story, he squandered all the money on riotous living. And he ended up in a pig pen. He ended up eating the husk of the corn, the stuff that the pigs wouldn't eat. He said, man, what am I thinking? My father's servants live better than this. You know, obviously the father's a pretty good man, ain't he? My, my father's servants have plenty of food. My father's servants have clothes on their back. My father's servants have a place to sleep and, and, and a place to take a bath. Man, I, I'm just going to go back, and I'll be one of my father's servants. So all the way back, he's practicing. Don't you know there's some anxiety going on? You done told your father he's as good as dead. You done took his money. You done wasted it. And now you're going back. And you're going to try to tell him, Father, I'm no longer fit to be called your son. But if you just let me be a servant, I'll work for you. Just count me as a hired help. All I need is a place to stay. But the Bible says that while he was still a great way off, that means the father was looking for him. He didn't accidentally see him. He was waiting on the son to come home. While he's still a great way off, think about if he's a great way off. It could have been a traveler. It could have been anybody. But the father recognized him, said, that is my son, ran to him. He didn't have to come to the father and say nothing. The father ran all the way to him, fell on his neck, hugged him, kissed him on the cheek, put the family ring on his finger, put a robe on his back, shoes on his feet, killed the fatted calf and said, this my son, which was dead, is come home. You know what that shows me? You can't never get past the reach of God's mercies. You can't get, never get outside of the boundaries of God's comfort. No, no matter what you do in life, God is always there. He's the God of all comfort. He was the God of all comfort that met with Abraham. You know, he came to Abram at the time, and he said, I want you to leave your father's house and go into a land that I will show thee. 
Now, you understand that the God of all comfort met with Father Abraham in spite of his failures. Abraham never should have been in Egypt. The famine came. Abraham basically says, Father, I'm not trusting you to take care of me through the famine. So he went to Egypt. Egypt's a picture of the world. He knew there was food there, so he goes to Egypt, a place that he's not supposed to be. Gets in all kind of trouble. The God of comfort stayed with him when he went where he wasn't supposed to be. Lied about his wife, said she's my sister. Got in trouble with the king, stirred up all kind of stuff, destroyed his testimony. But the God of all comfort walked out with him and made him a promise that has never failed. Think about the other part of the story. When he was at Egypt... He picked up a little slave girl named Hagar, and, and he made it his wife's handmaid. And he couldn't have any children because Sarah couldn't have any children. She couldn't bear any. So Sarah's idea was, you just take Hagar, and, and you marry her, and then you can have children. So Abraham, not so well advised, did what his wife suggested. But then she got pregnant. Hagar got pregnant. And Sarah's all upset about it. Comes to Abraham. He says, she's in your hand. Do, do whatever you want. She's in your hand. So she begins to treat Hagar, this little slave girl, little nothing nobody, that Father Abraham went in and got out of Egypt. She begins to treat her bad so that she runs out. She's crying. She's broken. But the Bible says that the, the Lord sent an angel of the Lord to a, a fountain in the wilderness and met her there in her troubles. The Bible says that he came to her. She called his name El Roi, that is the God that sees, because it says that he saw her in her affliction and he comforted her. Think about Luke chapter 7. You remember when Jesus walked into the city of Nain, the Bible says there's a widow woman. That means her husband's dead. She had one son, and the only son she has is in that box. There's a funeral going on. The Bible says that Jesus saw it, and he saw her, and he had compassion on her he met her in her place he brought her comfort he stopped the beer raised up the boy and handed him back to the mom he's the god of all comfort it's the same jesus walked through jericho mark chapter 10 there was a man crying out they call him bartimaeus jesus thou son of david have mercy on me they told him they said be quiet be quiet jesus is in town the master's here. He cried out all the more. And he's crying out and crying out. But the Bible says that Jesus stopped and said, hey, bring him over here. But here's what it says. They told him, be of good comfort. He's calling for you. He received his sight. He, he's the same God the Lord Jesus met. We do it right up here at the Last Supper. Can I tell you something? We call it the Last Supper. Well, it really wasn't. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb yet to come better than anything we've ever experienced. But it was the Last Supper, but the disciples didn't know it was the Last Supper. Jesus knew it was going to be the Last Supper. Jesus gathered them up and gathered around. What he's trying to tell them, I want you to understand, hell is about to show up on earth. You're about to see some terrible things. There's going to be darkness and thunder, and you're going to see me beaten and bruised and battered. You're going to see my body ripped and torn. You're about to see some things that will terrify you. But what he says is, be of good comfort. In three days, I'll be back. It's the same God of comfort that is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession on my behalf, on your behalf, for every mistake, for every failure, for everything that we do. He's sitting there 
The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These words here, the God of all comfort, the, the Greek word for that comfort is paraklesis. Verse number four, it says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. The Greek word there is parakaleo. You've put those words together. They're equal to a word that's called parakletos. It's used in a court of law to describe an, a, a defense attorney. A defense attorney is someone who pleads for another person's cause. It is someone who gives comfort to those who are accused. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is my defense attorney, seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he comforts us in, in all of our tribulations, all the troubles. We've talked about it recently. The, the, the band and I have talked about it. You guys were phenomenal this morning, man. Gave me chills singing. The choir and I have talked about it. What we've talked about is every one of you walked in here this morning with every kind of imaginable problem on earth. People walked in here with financial problems, marriage problems, family problems, health problems, work problems, relationship problems, children problems. There, there are no limits to the number of problems the only, the only limit to the number of problems can walk through that door is by the number of people that come in. And there ain't one thing that I can do to help you. And there ain't one thing that that band or that choir can do to help you. It's only the power of God. It's only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't come in here prayed up, we have nothing to offer. But man, when they're prayed up and you see them worship and God begins to move, it begins to get help. Burdens begin to lift, and the God of all comfort begins to show up in the house and move some things. So we come in bringing all kinds of baggage, but the text says that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. While I'm on it, Greg, you guys come on up. Bam, while I'm, while I'm talking, you guys, you guys come on up here. There, there's two kinds of people here now there are those of you who need something there there are people who need God to show up there, there are people who need God to show up a little bit and there are people who need God to show up desperately but there there are people in here there's people out there listening but there are people who need for God to show up in a mighty way but there's people in here who have seen God do the unimaginable. There are people in here who have seen God heal you when the doctor said there was no hope. There's people in here who have seen God make a way when there was no way. There's people in here that, that saw God bring a light in when there was nothing but darkness. And when the light was turned on, darkness had to flee. I'm just saying there's two kinds of people here. Those that are hurting and need some comfort. In those that have been comforted. And this text talks to both. 
It says that he is the God of all comfort, that he will meet you where you are. He will meet you in your situation, meet you in your circumstances, meet you in your trials, meet you in your troubles, and will give you comfort no matter where you are. But then the text says, if you're one of the ones that's been comforted, then use it by the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. Psalms chapter 46, David wrote a song to the chief musician for the sons of Korah. This is what the first verse says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Anybody in here believe that? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. Anybody believe it? Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to ask if you would to stand where you are. And I'm, I'm going to ask if you could have heads bowed, eyes closed just for a minute. It doesn't matter to me if it's for one or for 100. I prayed all week. God, what, what, do you, what, what do you want for your people? I thought I made a mistake Monday. It seems like every time I study, I'm studying for a message. I'm looking for something. But Monday, I prayed, and I said, God, give me something for me. I just need something for me. I don't, I don't want to look for a message. I, I want to I, I look for what you want to correct in me or what you want to strengthen in me. or I, I, I want you to deal with me. And when, by the time it got Friday... I was like, God, maybe we can forget about what I said. God, Sunday's coming, and you've got a message for your people, and I still don't know what it is. And I was sitting there studying, and God began to impress this when I read this chapter, impress it on my heart, which tells me somebody's hurting, Some, somebody's broken. And God sent a message for both kinds of people, the one that needs help and the one that's in a position to help others. You know, there's a reason God wakes us up at 2 o'clock in the morning to pray for somebody. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what's going on in their world. You don't know anything. All you know is that God woke you up out of the middle of a, of a dead sleep and said, pray for them. And then God is moved by your prayers. He knows what's going on. You don't. He does. But, but he wakes us up to pray, and then he answers our prayer and goes into their situation. Well, it's the same thing he says right here. I've met you in your valleys. I've walked you through the fire. I've held you in your storms. I've strengthened you. And you now know that I showed up in your storm. That means you can help somebody else walk through theirs. So what I want to do this morning with heads bowed, eyes closed. If you've got a burden of any kind, it doesn't matter to me what it is. If you care enough to bring it to God, he cares enough to meet you where you are. I want you to come find a place in this altar. This is between you and God. Those of you in the balcony, you've got plenty of time. I'm not going anywhere. Do you have time to get here? Whatever you're facing, whatever the trial, whatever the struggle, it doesn't matter if it's personal. It doesn't matter if it's secret. It doesn't matter if it's public. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter if it's money or family. It doesn't matter. If you have a problem and you say, God, I need for you to meet me where I am. I need for you to give me comfort in this storm. I need for you to hold me in this valley. Walk with me through this situation. God, I need you to meet me. I want you to come find a place in this altar. 